You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host, Nick Lee. Today's episode is brought your way by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. It's been a sad day for the NFL. One of the best general managers and honestly one of the best people in the NFL for that matter has passed away. Reports came out this morning that Ted Thompson, renowned longtime GM for the Packers, has died at the age of 68. Nick, you're going to have a tough time finding a more revered, more respected executive in the NFL than Thompson was during his time with the Packers. He spent the majority of his career there. He was an assistant director of pro personnel when he first got started in 1992, eventually moved up to director of pro personnel, then director of player personnel. And then he found his way into Seattle. And I think that's what really ties this all together For some of our listeners, they might only know that Ted Thompson was a great general manager for the Green Bay Packers, but he really set himself up for that position with the fantastic work that he did with the Seahawks from 2000 to 2004. Yeah, he was hired as the Seahawks VP of football operations, also heading Seattle's scouting department and running the draft boards, and a few important decisions happened in those days. We'll get into that. Holmgren was the GM at the time, and there were questions about some of the decisions that were made before Thompson arrived. And then Mike Holmgren is quoted saying, once Thompson arrived, the decisions all all of a sudden became much better. The 1999 draft was a rough one with a few difference makers drafted. Lamar King was a first-round bust. Brock Heward was a lifelong backup. But with Thompson coming on board, things did start to change. You know, a guy named Sean Alexander uh, came into the fold, was a home run first rounder. So was Steve Hutchinson, obviously drafted Darnell Jackson in the third round. Rocky Bernard was a fifth round in 2002. Trafont Hamlin in 2003. And his last draft, they got Sean Locklear and, and Michael Bulware. And I know that they made the Super Bowl the year after he left, but really Ted Thompson helped laid, helped laid the groundwork for that NFC championship and uh, Super Bowl appearance in 2005 with much of the players that he had his fingerprints all over. Yeah, this team would not have made their first Super Bowl without the presence of Ted Thompson because, as you mentioned, that 1999 draft, Mike Holmgren, one of the reasons he left Green Bay to go to Seattle was he was lured by the prospects of not only being the coach but also being the general manager and being able to pick the players that he wanted. And 1999 did not go well for him in that regard. Lamar King, as you mentioned, first round pick that had some physical ability, but he was from a small school, had some injury issues, never panned out. Brock Heward, they drafted in the third rounder, threw a few passes in his career, but never was a guy that was going to be a franchise quarterback. And the other picks they had in that draft, really none of them were difference makers. There were a couple guys that did some things for other teams, but as far as being in Seattle, they really didn't draft any impactful players that year, at least from the long-term perspective. But then in 2000, they got Sean Alexander. They also drafted 
McIntosh, the offensive lineman out of Wisconsin, who if he wouldn't have had a career-ending neck injury, we might be having a much different discussion because I think he was going to be a fantastic NFL player and unfortunately suffered that injury. That led to Steve Hutchinson getting drafted the next year. They drafted Corin Robinson as a first-rounder, and he had several good years in Seattle. Unfortunately, his career unraveled for a number of different reasons, off-the-field issues as well as injuries. But he had some good seasons in Seattle. You mentioned Daryl Jackson, who they picked in the third round of that 2000 draft. They got some really good players to infuse this roster with talent on both sides of the football, found some mid-to-late-round steals like Rocky Bernard that were integral parts of getting this team to their first Super Bowl. So he might not have been with the team anymore in 2005. But as you said, the imprint was clearly there with there being foundational pieces on both sides of that NFC championship team in that 2005 season that were selected in part because of the work done by Ted Thompson. And it's not just the the products he put on the field. It's the mentorship and, and, and Seahawks general manager, John Schneider, very complimentary of Thompson and his, he was under his tutelage in green Bay. And now John Schneider is one of the better general managers of the last decade in Seattle. And he owes at least some of that to Thompson's tutelage and Seahawks fans. owe Thompson a lot. They owe a lot to him for, for that super bowl at the NFC title run, the super bowl appearance. They owe a lot to what John Schneider has become as a general manager himself in Seattle. And, and I know this is a Seahawks show and want to talk Seahawks, but really, just the legacy of Ted Thompson, not just in Seattle, but we're talking Green Bay, the Super Bowl title in 2010. You got Aaron Rodgers and and he's drafted Devontae Adams and Clay Matthews, you know, a couple of decent players in Green Bay. And, and hence, he was inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in 2018, rightfully so. Yeah, there are several players that are still making an impact for the Packers heading into this weekend's NFC Championship game that were either drafted or signed by Ted Thompson. He was known for not doing much during free agency. He believed in building the roster through the draft, would occasionally make a trade with other teams, but there are still several of those players, including Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, who are going to be starring for the Packers at Lambeau Field this weekend. So two different franchises that were dramatically impacted by his presence. One of the best general managers of our generation, really one of the best general managers that we've seen in the league in terms of consistency. The Packers were always seemingly in the thick of things for a playoff spot and competing for championships. Even though they only won one Lombardi during his tenure, they were always in the thick of things. And he's really the guy that proved to be the difference maker to getting the Seahawks finally to the big game in 2005. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all of those family members and friends that were affected by Thompson during his spectacular life. Coming up next in the second quarter here on Locked On Seahawks, we are going to be continuing our end of season superlatives. We did offense last week. We're going to flip to the defensive side of the football, starting with most valuable player, most improved, the unsung hero, and the rookie of the year. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, 
remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Are we ready for some football? Coming up this weekend, it's championship weekend in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs looking to defend their title, hosting the Buffalo Bills. And in the NFC, the Green Bay Packers are hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Lambeau Field. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee for our Thursday episode. Last week, we started diving into our end-of-the-season awards for the Seahawks. We were looking at offensive superlative, the most valuable player, most improved, most surprising, and a number of other different awards. This week, we're going to switch over to the defensive side of the football. Let's start with the defensive MVP. And I know from discussing this with our staff of the Seahawk Maven that this was actually a much debated award because there were several players that were worthy of consideration here. Absolutely. And the defense, it was one of the most improved units in the NFL. It was historic. I mean, Corbin, you wrote a piece on that, that they were one, they were the most improved defense in football in national football league history. And my pick um, after much debate, yes, I did. I did. I went a lot back and forth. Is Jamal Adams, and because I, when I pick MVPs, I stick to the literal sense of value. If you took this person off the field, how would that work? <laughs> it's Jamal Adams. First off, because you know he he set the single season sacks record for a defensive back. I mean, what more do you need than that? He's a heat seeking missile, and it was clear the defense was different. Not only when he was missing games due to health but in that last playoff game he clearly was not all the way healthy and it really did affect the the team and I mean he he was kind of the lifeblood and and heart and soul of that defense in some ways yes he was a newer player but he was vocal he had a joy about him and yeah the the difference the the MVP part comes when he's not on the field you can clearly tell the defense is not the same but you got to give it to a guy who set a sack record so I'm, I'm going Jamal Adams Yeah, I considered Adams just because we saw how much the game was changed for the Seahawks when he came back from his groin injury in the second half. And and you mentioned the sack record. For For him to be able to do that in just 10 games is a remarkable feat. He's just a unique player. We talk about him being a unicorn. He truly is. You just don't find safeties that can rush the passer like that. And he really was the ultimate difference maker for them in the second half. And it's unfortunate that he was not healthy in that playoff game and trying to play through a torn torn labrum that clearly was impacting his play. But I decided to go with a guy that throughout his career has been overlooked. He's made one Pro Bowl in his entire career. But K.J. Wright has been one of the most consistent linebackers in the NFL throughout his 10 NFL seasons and I think you could make a strong argument maybe statistically it was not the best season for him he only had 86 tackles last year he had over 130 so there are going to be people that point to that and say well he wasn't near as productive but if you were watching the film he made the move to Sam linebacker in week three after they lost Bruce Irvin to a season-ending torn ACL and 
the tackle numbers were not there, but if you were watching the film, KJ Wright, you couldn't run outside on this team most of the time because he was so good at setting the edge. He continued to blow up screens and the quick passing game. They started to blitz him a bit more playing that position. He had a couple of sacks. He was the only player in the NFL this year that had double-digit tackles for loss and double-digit passes defensed. No other player in the NFL did that. And so I know Bobby Wagner was the all-pro selection, and he, he earned it. Bobby Wagner had another fantastic season. Jamal Adams broke that record and was really good in the 12 games that he played in. But K.J. Wright, when you're talking value, him stepping into that position that I know he was hesitant to play, he wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of moving from his weak side linebacker position, but he is the consummate team player, and he did it. And so you put that in perspective with the numbers he put up all the big plays he made this year, the one-handed interception he had against the Minnesota Vikings, all the screens that he annihilated this year. To me, K.J. Wright is the defensive MVP for this football team. And now that leads us into the most improved here. The Seahawks had several players on defense that you could make this argument from the first half to the second half made big jumps. But we were looking at this more holistically. The player that improved the most from 2019 to 2020. Nick, who's your pick? Uh, This guy's got to get some sort of award here when we're talking defense, and and it's Puna Ford. Uh, He's He wasn't like terrible in 2019 or 2018, but he certainly took it to a new level in 2020. 2019, he played in 15 games, had half a sack, 32 tackles, five tackles for loss. You know, for an undrafted guy in his second year, that's pretty respectable. And then this year, two sacks, 40 tackles, eight tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. He was all over the place. And and you could just clearly tell, I mean, just jumped off the page that he he had taken another step and he was one of the most consistent defensive linemen this year. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Puna Ford. Yeah, I have Ford down on my list too because I think he's one of those players that from the first half to the second half just really elevated his game. But he was still playing really well in the first half. And of all the defensive tackles in the NFL, that had 600 or more snaps this year, he has the sixth highest grade on pro football focus. And you look at the names that were in front of him, Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, who's becoming a superstar for the Tennessee Titans. And those are three of the names that are in front of him. I mean, just all really high caliber players that he is in elite company with there as the sixth highest graded, highest graded player. He has always been a really good run defender. His quickness causes problems for guards and centers in the interior. But I think the difference maker for him this year is that he's been able to play that three-tech position more where he's been able to slide outside a little bit. And I think that's allowed him to really show his athletic ability and his quickness and his improved counter moves as a pass rusher. Pro Football Focus had him with 28 pressures this year. And that's the difference between, say, Pro Football Reference that had him listed with 13. I looked at them and thought, that seems kind of low, but – Pro Football Focus gave him 28. That seems closer to reality because he really was a problem disrupting the pocket, especially in the second half of the season. And part of it was the Damon Harrison effect. It stinks that Damon Harrison had to force his way out. I understood why he wanted to go to another team. He wasn't active, but Damon Harrison being there allowed them to slide Puna Ford out to that three-tech position more, and it really brought out the best in his game. He is set to have an even bigger fourth season building off this strong finish to this year as an interior pass rusher. Now let's get to unsung hero. I thought about Puna Ford for this one, but 
there are a couple other guys that really just came out of nowhere that played big roles for this defense at some point in the season. Who is your unsung hero for the Seahawks defense in 2020? For unsung hero, it definitely could have been most improved as well. And I think I have a feeling we'll mention him a couple times. And that's LJ Collier. I'm going to go unsung because of he got crushed after his flop of a rookie season in 2019, rightfully so. You know, being selected 29th overall in a team that desperately needed pass rush, he, the Seahawks, Seahawks coaches, players, and fans really were counting on him to bring some juice in 2019, and it just was not there. The cupboard was dry. Um, and he played just 153 snaps all season with three tackles. And so he was kind of written off, like, okay, bust. You know, another another top or upper end of the draft fail there on the defensive line. Thanks a lot. And then this year, while he didn't pile up the sack numbers like you'd hope for a first-round defensive end, he did make a big impact. I mean, look no further than that goal line stand against the Patriots and Cam Newton. And that that play was one that, that, that was like, whoa, I think LJ Collier has arrived. Now, you could argue that any good defensive lineman should have made that play, but just the way he got in there. And after that, he built on that. He finished with three sacks, 17 pressures, according to Pro Football Reference, which was fourth best on the squad. Um, it just it seemed like that catapult that play catapulted him to have a really good year. And I don't think he got enough love, especially with the defense doing so poorly in the, in the first half, especially um, in pass rush. And then you add in Jamal Adams, you had Carlos Dunlap to the full mid season, Bobby Wagner, KJ, Wright, Like you mentioned, I think that he got lost in the shuffle a little bit, but he overall quietly had a pretty darn solid season. He really did. But I've got to go with DJ Reed on this one because you and I, I remember when he got claimed off waivers, we were kind of like, why? Because this guy's not going to be available this year. He's got a biceps tear. He's not going to play this season. And sure enough, this kid was motivated. He thought he could make it back, and he did. He was out playing against his former team, the 49ers, in week eight. And then he started a couple games at slot corner. They had some injuries on the outside. Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin banged up. So he's starting at outside corner at five foot nine. He is anything but the prototypical corner in Pete Carroll's defense on the outside, and yet he played outstanding football, went up and had over 50 tackles, had a couple of interceptions, seven passes defensed, and he gave him a lift on special teams too. I know everybody's going to look at that botched punt that he fumbled in the wildcard game that was really costly in that fourth quarter, but if you take that play out of the equation, he was really a difference maker in the return game. They didn't have somebody back there with juice, and he provided that. And so I think he not only gave him a lift this season, I think he's positioned himself to potentially be one of the starting two corners on the outside in 2021, and that's going to play into their decision with Shaquille Griffin. We'll get to more on that in a later episode when we're looking at specific free agents. But DJ Reed was – clearly the unsung hero of this defense that nobody could have thought entering the season was going to end up having the impact that he did for this defense that turned everything around 180 degrees in the second half. Last one here for the third quarter, rookie of the year. You know, some people might think that this one is pretty cut and dry, but you and I actually have some differing opinions on this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Alton Robinson. I did toy with the idea of Jordan Brooks, but I, I'm going to go with Robinson because he outperformed his draft status. After being the second defensive end taken by Seattle, Daryl Taylor, in the fifth round, most didn't really expect him to contribute right away, but he really did. He earned four four sacks, playing in 15 games, 
uh, provided some much needed juice to the previously anemic pass rush. And when you look at fifth round picks and what they've done in the last few years, I mean, he's been very productive. I mean, the fifth round pick in 2019 has been Burke Curvin um, and Jamarco Jones and Eric Shaquem Griffin. And, and, those, and those guys were fifth round picks in 2018. And the Seahawks didn't have one in 2017, but then Quentin Jefferson and Alex Collins in 2016. So he stacks up right against anybody else in the last few years that the Seahawks have taken in the fifth round as far as production in your rookie year. Um, and he, he didn't come out of nowhere, but you knew it was there. But I just I, the wh- why he got the edge is just because of the fifth round, and he was at a position of need when you needed him most. And yeah, he didn't pile up you know eight nine sacks, but those sacks seemed to come at some key moments. So I'm going to go out and Robinson. I seriously considered Robinson because the impact he had rushing the passer, and he made some really clutch plays getting after the quarterback this season. But I have to go with Jordan Brooks because I think he was one of the catalysts for that second-half improvement. We talked all offseason long a year ago about the need for speed on defense, and Jordan Brooks brought that in the middle of the defense. You could see it in the first Cardinals game on their goal line stop. This was after DK Metcalf had chased down Buda Baker short of the goal line on that interception. A couple plays later, Brooks chased down Kyler Murray running outside and brought him down for a loss. The Seahawks don't have any other linebackers that are making that play on their roster. And he really came on down the stretch. He had a season high for tackles against the New York Giants. Yeah, they lost the game, but he played really darn well. His best game of the season was that Week 16 win over the Rams where he racked up a bunch of tackles, made a couple plays in coverage as well. Uh, I just thought this kid really blossomed as the season progressed, and I think he now has an opportunity next year as well as K.J. Wright played. Like I said, K.J. to me was the most valuable player in this defense, but they are going to be faced with a situation where they may have a really hard time re-signing KJ Wright because the future is now at weak side linebacker. It's Jordan Brooks. He's not going to be just playing early downs in base defense moving forward in 2021. They're going to want him on the field in their nickel defense as well because of his athleticism, his improving coverage skills. So I was very encouraged by what I saw from Jordan Brooks in the second half of the season. I think they've got a rising star there next to Bobby Wagner at the linebacker position. We come back in the third quarter. We're going to continue our superlatives Biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and of course, our best and worst defensive plays from the 2020 season. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we've got championship weekend approaching. I'm going to be taking a deep dive into two potential free agents on each of those four teams playing in championship weekend that the Seahawks may have interest in pursuing this offseason, plus a first look at the Seahawks' very limited number of draft picks heading towards April's draft. Let's continue with our defensive superlatives. We just looked at the MVP, most improved, unsung hero, and rookie of the year. Continuing our superlatives here, Nick, it's time for the biggest surprise on defense. And There were several of them that would have qualified here. It really depends on what you deem a surprise. Who was your pick here? Well, we've already mentioned him. He was placed on the active non-football injury list at the start of training camp in 2020 for the San Francisco 49ers and was waived after that in August. And that's DJ Reed. It's hard for me to make an argument for really anybody else. I know a couple of people might make your list. 
um, came out of virtually left field to become a reliable piece at cornerback and was a, a, a factor in the return game. He went from waiver wire pickup to starting eight games and hauling in two interceptions in the process. I mean, John Schneider and Pete Carroll have done it again. They found another diamond in the rough and I think could be a, a really good piece moving forward um, in both the corner at cornerback and the return game. And because they, it was very clear at the end, they opted for him instead of a, a healthy Quentin Dunbar, um, I'm, who I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, and his, he just, he outplayed his size. And, you know, the Seahawks love guys like that. And he just, he emulates, maybe he doesn't have the long spider like limbs of a typical Seahawks corner, but in his chest, in his heart, he is a true Seahawks corner. So I, I'm, I'm really happy with uh, DJ Reed. And I was, frankly, surprised. <laughs> yeah, my biggest surprise, this is the reason I was not going to pick Jamal Adams for MVP. I actually was considering Alton Robinson for this, but I've got to go with Ryan Neal. We're talking about a player that at the end of training camp was released by the Seahawks, and he was strongly considering quitting football. And it's something that he had thought about a few other times before. I mean, he has been a practice squad lifer his first couple of years in the league. And, and that's got to wear a player down, especially with the COVID testing and all the obstacles that players had to deal with this year in this unique season. But ultimately he decided to sign with Seattle's practice squad and stick with it. And then sure enough, Jamal Adams gets hurt in that game against the Cowboys week three, who makes the game ending interception, the end zone, Ryan Neal. And then the next week against the Miami Dolphins, he has his second interception on the opening drive. He ended up making 44 tackles. He blocked a punt. He had five pass deflections this year for the Seahawks. He started those four games that Adams was out and played admirably. Were there was, were there some mistakes? Absolutely. But he continued to be a player that the Seahawks relied on in special teams. And I thought as the season wore on, they continued to find more creative ways to get him on the field in dime packages because he's a bigger safety that – had some success playing in the box. He was kind of interchangeable. He's obviously not Jamal Adams, but you could play him a lot of the same style that they played Jamal Adams when he was in the lineup. And that flexibility really helped the Seahawks during that time period. And he's a guy that certainly has played himself into being a key reserve and a key special teams guy going into the 2021 season. So there's no doubt Ryan Neal to me is the biggest surprise the Seahawks had defensively this year. Now, let's get to biggest disappointment. And again, this is the show we prefer the positives, but the fact of the matter is there's always a disappointment or two when you're talking about a football team during a season. And unfortunately for Seattle on defense, there were a few candidates to pick from for this one. Yeah, I mean, the defense got off to a pretty rough start. And I had so many high hopes for Quentin Dunbar. Um, just the trajectory he was on coming from Washington. And he, it seemed like he was on a Pro Bowl trajectory. And he's the Florida Gators guy, and I, I, I like the Gators. And I was, I was really had high hopes. And I, I was really excited when the Seahawks traded for him. And he just didn't deliver in every single way. He All he did was play six games. So, so when he did get on the field, he had legal issues, first of all, and he couldn't get healthy. Then when he did play, he stunk. Allowed an 111.0 passer rating and caused the Seahawks all sorts of headaches off the field as well with the legal issues. Um, and shoot, <laughs> the Seahawks sure could be using that fifth round pick right about now. So that, that, that was that. I think that's the biggest bummer is the Seahawks are really hurting for draft capital, and that is certainly one I wish they had back because a fifth round pick would be nice right now, either to use it or to trade up. 
or trade See, back for picks. And I consider Dunbar as my pick too because of the poor production, but I think he was really just playing hurt a lot of the time. And I think the Seahawks had no business having him out on the field there for a few of the games he played in. And I know he was trying to gut it out, especially with him heading to free agency. He wanted to try to prove his worth going into free agency, but he was just not healthy. I've got to go with another player that missed the entire season. We just we never got to see Daryl Taylor. And why it was such a big disappointment is the Seahawks had one of the rare visits before the COVID pandemic really got going and everything got shut down. One of the few visits that any team got with a player before that happened was Seattle with Daryl Taylor. And they had an opportunity to check him out medically coming off of surgery that he had in January to put that titanium rod into his leg to help with his stress fracture and their medical staff thought that he was going to be fine that he would be ready at some point in the 2020 season to contribute and unfortunately he kept having setbacks and did not return to practice until the playoffs did not end up playing in any games so we didn't get to see what this kid can do luckily Alton Robinson pitched him with four sacks and came up big for him but for your second rounder that you traded up to draft not to be available at all it really was a buzzkill for this defense, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this kid can do in the future. It sounds like they're very optimistic about where he's going to be at health-wise going into 2021. They need him to be an impact player next year to justify trading up, and they had two second-round picks. They ended up only having one because they traded up with the Jets to get that 48th selection and be able to make that pick. He's got to show that that was a solid move made by the Seahawks front office. And right now it's screaming bust just because he hasn't been on the field. We'll have to just wait and see what he ends up doing next year when he's healthy enough to play. Let's get to the best and worst play. Let's actually start with the negative first. What was the worst defensive play in your opinion from this season? There were plenty of candidates, especially early in the season when this defense was giving up historic passing yard yardage totals. Well, yeah, you mentioned the early struggles. I'm actually going to go with uh, one of the last. Um, allowing a 44-yard gain is never really a good thing on defense, but allowing such a play on third and nine in a playoff game is so, so much worse. Seattle allowed Jared Goff to, to complete a short pass to, to Cam Akers down the sidelines, who ran it for 44 yards on a crucial conversion on, on a third and long that eventually led to the Rams scoring another touchdown and making it a two-score lead, and really the Seahawks were playing catch up ever since and, and, and never caught up um, unfortunately um, so that that was uh, one of the daggers to that wild card home loss was that long game because that, that's another position where you're like okay third and nine get him to punt get the ball back maybe get the offense rolling score touchdown right back in this thing this 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 thing is still um, right within the Seahawks grasp and that was just a back-breaking soul-crushing run or reception by Cam Akers um, and and really rear its ugly head of some of the things that plagued the Seahawks earlier in the year that they had shored up so well in the second half. Um, unfortunately, it broke down at the worst time again. Yeah, for me, I'm actually going to go with a pair of plays, and I don't know why every time I think of plays that disgusted me this season, these two pop up, and I always go back to that Dallas Cowboys game because when this defense was playing so poorly in the first half, that was really the game that was the staple game behind that. They gave up so many explosive pass plays. Shaquille Griffin got burned downfield on a deep ball. Trey Flowers gave up a deep touchdown to Michael Gallup. And Cedric Wilson, who I was a big fan of at Boise State, but he had done nothing in the NFL to this point, and he just exploded in that game. And he caught a couple of passes in the middle of the field 
and ended up racing to the end zone and nobody could tackle him. And it was just, it was the ugliest display of defense imaginable. It looked like you were watching flag football out there. Nobody was getting anywhere close to the receivers and they were getting huge chunks of yardage after the catch. And he ended up scoring two long touchdowns. Again, this is a player that had done very little in his career in the NFL. And that was his breakout game. And it came against a secondary that at that point just could not stop anyone. Thank goodness they were able to turn things around. But I just remember shaking my head throughout the game like, this this secondary was supposed to be really good. I don't know what's going on, but this is one of the worst defensive displays that I've ever seen. And the Cowboys made them look really bad. They were very fortunate to escape with a victory in that game against Dak Prescott and company. Now, as far as best plays go, you mentioned this one earlier. LJ Collier upending Cam Newton at the goal line is number one and number two for me. That is still my favorite play from the entire season because the defense was up against the wall. They were defending less than a yard from the goal line and typically in Cam Newton's career. If Cam Newton's only got to go in from a yard out, he'd already done it in the game a couple times. He had ran for touchdowns in short yardage. At 250 plus pounds, he is typically impossible to stop in those situations. And yet, LJ Collier was able to knife into the backfield and he did just what you have to do with Cam Newton. He tackled him low, he upended him on fourth down, quarterback flips and comes up just short of the goal line and the Seahawks hold on for a close victory. They had so many of those in the first half. And I thought about that goal line sequence against the Rams a few weeks ago, but there wasn't a goal line play that jumped out like that one LJ Collier made. And I was just happy to have that player make the play. As you mentioned, had such a rough rookie season. It was a major confidence booster for him to be able to make that game winning tackle and Really, it was one of the biggest plays in that 5-0 and start. Yeah, funny that the defense actually did factor in a couple big plays to that to that really fast start, even though they were historically bad. Um, I'm going to go to one you mentioned just now, is that goal line stand against the Rams. And I, I'm a big believer in context. Um, yeah, there wasn't like this all-time like statue-worthy play um, the closest one for me is the Jamal. Ad- I'm going to go with the second down play, second and goal from the four yard line late in the third quarter. And Jamal Adams comes up like a bat out of hell. <laughs> that should be his nickname, bat out of hell in, in all in caps. Um, and, and just makes the tackle on Malcolm Brown at the one yard line, stuffing him. And then of course the Seahawks stuff him to play for two more plays to, to, to seal the deal there and prevent the Rams from scoring. And, and that, I think, turned the tide because you know, that, that could have tied the game. And that, that turned the tide for the Seahawks to win that game and eventually clinch the NFC West. Now, now knowing what we know now with, unfortunately, the, the Rams winning in Seattle, to the playoff game and everything like that, maybe this doesn't mean as much. But for me, that's a banner at Lumen Field. That play, that goal line stand, that sequence, but specifically that great play by Jamal Adams on second down, that play helped raise a banner at Lumen Field for a 2020 NFC West championship. And that means a lot to me. That's all about context. So that was the best one for me. Obviously, there were some more improbable plays or more exciting jump-out-of-your-seat plays. But for me, that that was one because that was the moment where I'm like, shoot, the Seahawks could actually win this game and, and win the division. Yeah, I think the play of that sequence that was the most incredible was actually the one that set it up to begin with because Daryl Henderson looked like he had an easy touchdown 
And Adams ran him down from the opposite side of the formation, backside pursuit, and tripped him up a couple yards short. We don't even have a discussion about that fourth down stop, that goal line stand, without him making that play. So there were just so many cool plays in that sequence. And so it really was the season of goal line stands for the Seahawks defensively this year. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick Lee at Nick Lee 51. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on our podcast, make sure to contact us, LockSeahawks at gmail.com. Subscribe to our show, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is. Go to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com, and make sure to leave a review. Coming up on our Friday show, I'm going to look at two potential free agent targets from each of the four teams playing in championship weekend. Seattle may have interest in pursuing this offseason and a first look at Seattle's very limited four draft picks heading into April's draft. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.